Hello and welcome to the next episode of our Tilney Investment Podcast. I'm Sam Coppin, Director of Investment Advisor from Tilney's London office. And I'm talking with Ben Seeger-Scott, our Head of Multi-Asset Funds. Today we'll be looking back on an eventful week for financial markets and assessing the impact of the US election results. We'll also be looking at a potential breakthrough in the fight against COVID. We're recording this podcast from our homes today on Tuesday, 10th of November. Before we begin, here is some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or a recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. Well, Ben, no shortage of things for us to talk about today. But let's start with the events we saw in the States last week. Give us your thoughts on what unfolded and, uh, and how the markets reacted. Absolutely. Thank you, Sam. Well, the US election was always going to be interesting and it proved to be the case. Uh, obviously, we put some communications out in advance. Much of that were, were laying out several scenarios. And one of the things we, we did warn about was the fact that some of the pollsters can be very fallible. We saw that in the previous US election. We've seen it in several UK elections and, and referenda. And that obviously turned out to be true. Uh, this huge landslide for the Democrats didn't manifest. Uh, I think there's quite a lot of lingo to get our heads around. So the so-called blue wave didn't materialise, and that's where the Democrats end up controlling all three arms of government. So uh, both houses of Congress and the presidency, or at least it looks like they're not going to end up controlling all three. Uh, and there's also some expectation of an early landslide for Biden, taking a lot of key states and cementing his win very rapidly. That didn't manifest. What did manifest, though, was something that we, we highlighted, the blue shift. And that was sort of expected in advance. If Donald Trump didn't take some of the, the key battleground states early on, what we thought might well happen is you could have Donald Trump leading in several of the states just based on exit polls on the day. And then this blue shift as the mail-in uh, ballots are counted, and a lot of those were considered in advance to have been uh, posted by Democrats so that the lead swung as mail-in ballots were, were counted towards Biden. And that's what came off, and that's sort of where we sit now. So I think obviously the presidential election has been very closely watched, and that's clearly had the biggest impact uh, in terms of sentiment. It's also worth highlighting, though, there were also uh, elections for the Senate, where around a third of the seats were up, and the House of Representatives, where every seat uh, is up for re-election. And those are important because those determine leg the legislative agenda. I think what's important to highlight there is the Democrats managed to keep hold of the House, though they didn't increase their majority as they expected, and it looks like they haven't won over the Senate. Now, there's still two seats in Georgia that have gone to a runoff. That'll be in early January. If the Democrats take both of those, then uh, the, the Democrats will control the Senate. That's quite unlikely, though. And that has a big impact. 
So what it means is the Senate is controlled by the Republicans. That gives the Republicans the ability to block any of the more radical policies. Some of the more radical Democrat policies were decidedly market unfriendly. Uh, they had policies to increase the corporation tax rate up to 28%, increase personal taxes, including capital gains taxes, tighter regulation, all of which were deemed to be less market friendly. With the Republicans controlling uh, the Senate, that is much less likely. But also it's worth remembering with a slimmer majority in the House, that can also cause some problems from the, for the Biden administration. Within the, the Democrats, as with most parties, there, there are lots of different factions. And what will be interesting is to watch the potential tension between the more sort of progressive left wing of the party from where Bernie Sanders hails from and the more sort of centrist moderate wing of the party, which is where Biden is from. So actually, things aren't necessarily going to be plain sailing overall. Thanks, Ben. So with all that said, were you surprised by the positive reaction we saw from markets last week? You know, it's often said markets hate uncertainty. And of course, last week was incredibly uncertain. And arguably, you know, at the moment, it looks like it's the worst possible outcome for markets. Biden winning presidency, but Republicans holding the Senate. Despite all that, as you say, you know, sentiment was very positive. Why do you think that was? I think I, I was somewhat surprised, but um, I've also got to the point where, you know, I, I recognise market reactions are almost impossible to predict. Just look at the reaction after Donald Trump won the first time round, the uh, results of the EU referendum. Market reactions are effectively not something that is forecastable. And that's why in advance, we were, I think we were quite clear in our view that we don't take any significant positions based on binary outcomes because they are just so um, so unknowable. And I think the sense that our biggest concern actually in the short term was around a bitterly contested election, particularly if it was very close. And I think even though initially we were concerned around that, particularly as this, this blue shift started to happen, we thought it could be very harshly contested and the results might be very close for an extended period of time. Actually, post-event, I think there is less uncertainty over the outcome. If you look at uh, most of the electorate and, and most of the output from the US, I think most people are comfortable that Biden has won legitimately by quite a, a large margin. And even though Donald Trump um, is, is still uh, making outrageous uh, accusations, I think if you look, for example, the media, even Fox News, they've just started cutting him off and, and trying to correct the, the outgoing president. And so I don't think that there's too much traction at the moment. Of course, that could change if Donald Trump is able to rile up his base. That could look, cause some discontent. So there is still a risk there. But I think generally that the scale of, of these wins, once all of the votes have been counted, is enough to, to move markets to a point of uh, positivity. And actually, I think now markets are starting to look to the medium term. Uh, I think if there was uh, a, a blue wave, there would have been an initial relief rally, um, a greater political certainty. But then I think markets would have started to look at some of the Democrat policies. Uh, and if you have that, everything controlled by the Democrats, that does make it a lot easier to push through some of those more radical policies that I mentioned um, that are, are somewhat market unfriendly. Now the Republicans can block some of that more radical, uh, some of those more radical policies, but there's also pressure um, to, to come to some sort of working agreement, particularly around fiscal policy, to get something done. Actually, on reflection, 
this isn't a particularly bad outcome overall. It prevents radical policies in either direction, but also some of the, the more strategic rivalries, some of the issues are, are around trade, protectionism, geopolitics do seem to have softened. And I think that's what the market is focusing on, this sort of positive. Americans uh, broadly love the checks and balances approach. Historically, they've uh, they've become a little bit more nervous when any one party controls all aspects of the government. So actually, uh, the Republicans controlling the Senate, the Democrats having the House and the presidency is a relatively market-friendly outcome. That's interesting. Thanks, Ben. And how much of the market response do you think was also anticipation of further um, Fed stimulus? So you touched on it there. If, if fiscal measures are harder to to push through, do you think the Fed's now going to have to take up the baton? Uh, I think to some extent the, the Fed has already factored in some level of stimulus. And I think where we are now is actually a continuation of the, of the status quo. I think all major central banks, including the, the Bank of England and the European Central Bank, the Fed as well, have signalled a, a ready willingness to intervene in markets as needed. But what we've tended to see is they've been more reactionary. So it's been when markets have fallen quite aggressively in response to events that central banks have stepped in. And that's likely to continue. And I think the Fed is providing a little bit more of a backstop. I think what is worth highlighting the Fed has suggested their own economic projections assume around a trillion dollars of fiscal stimulus coming through at some point. And if you look where we were before the election, the, the Republicans were pushing for, for 500 billion of stimulus, so half a trillion, whereas the Democrats wanted 2.2 trillion. So if you look between those half and 2.2, the Fed expects around a trillion. That's broadly in line. With, with where they were. And actually, I think what we've seen in the, in the treasury markets that have softened uh, a little bit, um, that's in response to, to less, probably a little less fiscal stimulus, because fiscal stimulus obviously requires higher borrowing, and that can put pressure on borrowing costs. So I think overall, the Fed might have to do a little bit more than if we had that blue wave, and we saw a very strong fiscal stimulus coming through. But it's not as much as if uh, the fiscal stimulus was likely to be blocked. So I think the Fed stands ready to intervene, but I don't think that, that they're being pushed in either direction now. Again, and that's probably a market-friendly outcome, which has helped uh, smooth some of those earlier nerves. Yeah, definitely. And of course, this has potential to, to rumble on for some time, as you say. Uh, President Trump's not yet conceding, potentially some legal proceedings to, to follow. Do you think this will have a negative impact in time or, in your view, you know, have, have markets moved on now? Um, well, the, the answer is always is more nuanced. I think markets have moved on. And I think looking at the legal challenges, many people have made sort of already qualitative assessments that they're unlikely to pass. I think there were some challenges if, if some of the, the vote counts were very tight. And for example, in Pennsylvania, there was a, a reasonably legitimate challenge over some of the, the late mail-in votes. Now, if those had made a big difference, then there, there could be uh, more uncertainty. But as it stands, I think the expectation of any of these legal challenges going through from, from expert commentators is very low. So I think markets really have, have moved beyond it. Uh, the, the key risk is actually more if you do start to see some, some domestic unrest, if Donald Trump does get through to some of his core base and just cause a little bit of, uh, of civil disturbance, that could impact sentiment. But I don't think that the markets are broadly 
focusing on that anymore and that they're, they're looking much more to the new world and president-elect Biden and, and his potential new policies. One of the things that's helped the, um, the markets move on recently is, is uh, some extremely positive news um, with the announcement from Pfizer and, and BioNTech of the success of their COVID vaccine trials. Um, so let's move, move on from the US for, for a moment. How excited should we be, in your opinion, um, about this breakthrough? Markets obviously got very excited um, about it yesterday. How do you assess the market reaction to, to this news as well? Well, you know, I, I think, firstly, in terms of public health, of course, it's fantastic news, uh, and we shouldn't lose sight of that. Uh, and as you say, the initial reaction in markets was was positive, and you t- and that tends to to characterise the, the the short term events. You get initial reactions before uh, so, sort of longer term considerations come through. Um, what I would say, if you want to maintain that sort of universally positive feeling, you should probably skip ahead a couple of minutes. Um, I, I would suggest you don't want to hear from scientists or strategists around this, because on both sides, we always tend to be a little bit more sceptical. Uh, what I would say, it definitely helps in terms of the longer term strategy. Uh, and because the, 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 this vaccine has been much more effective than uh, anticipated, that's cr- helped to create some good short term sentiment. And that does improve the, the longer-term strategy. What it gives us is an important endpoint, potential endpoint, or exit strategy to try and get get us out of this crisis. And that is a much more positive thing, both the sentiment and the strategy, than having this open-ended um, crisis. But against that, I think the short to medium-term picture is a little bit more challenged. There is a side benefit, um, and that's that what what hasn't been too broadly reported, but it is it's in some of the detail. This vaccine is actually based on a site new platform, messenger RNA, which has enabled it to be deployed a lot more quickly. And that could mean in potential uh, potential future threats could be responded to quicker as well. So structurally, that's that's a benefit. I think, though, attention will now switch to to some of the bigger challenges of uh, distribution, as well as needing some of these other vaccines to come on board as well. And in terms of distribution, it's not all that straightforward. The, the time lag between having a vaccine developed, getting it approved and getting it deployed can be uh, quite extended. This particular vaccine requires a, a relatively tight and complicated cold chain. The, the vaccine needs to be kept below minus 80 degrees Celsius, so requiring a lot of specialist uh, equipment. You've also got to consider how much, you, how rapidly you can produce significant quantities of the vaccine and then get it across the world into remote areas. And some of the supporting equipment, for example, there's a, there are a few challenges over getting medical grade glass uh, for some of the vials. And it's gonna take time to inoculate the whole world. That's what you have to do with, with a vaccine. You need to, to inoculate large numbers of people. And that's that I think is going to take time. And I think from a, a sort of investment point of view, it's unclear how many companies can survive that long. Companies obviously have bills to pay. A lot of them, uh, or a number of them around the edges, came into this relatively leveraged with fragile business models, uh, and they may not survive. We've always maintained that the recovery, uh, when it comes, would probably be selective. It's not clear those companies will necessarily survive, and it's not clear that governments will want to support them. The com- com- uh, governments have made very clear that um, they're, they're not going to. They're not there to save everyone, and it will be a little bit more selective. 
So what it does do is set the stage for an end, the end of the crisis. It helps support that longer term view, but we're not there yet. And I think, as has been made clear, just achieving good results in a vaccine is not a silver bullet in and of itself. More likely, the, the exit from this is going to hinge on a vaccine, but it also requires more effective treatments for those already infected and rapid testing. Those are three aspects that I think will help get us to, to normality. So definitely a brilliant step in the right direction. It's definitely a game changer, but it's not overall a silver bullet for a rapid solution to the crisis. Uh, so it was cyclicals that led the, the market rally, um, energy, financial companies, airlines had a uh, had a really good day. Could this be a start of a rotation back into cyclicals and out of the more defensive stocks, do you think? And how does this impact our positioning within our multi-asset funds? Uh, I think what we've seen this year is short periods of these cyclical value rallies. And that really reflects just how much these areas of the market have been beaten up by, by the crisis and they come off a very a very low base. Uh, I, I do think that cyclicals and value stocks that have been beaten up could do well uh, during the initial phases of a broader economic recovery. I'm just not sure we're we're there yet. We have highlighted, you know, we've we've got rising unemployment, increased business failures, and I still think we might have to have this period of creative destruction before we do get get that that recovery. And I think cyclical companies could still be in for a bumpy ride between between sort of now and then. It is worth highlighting, though, that when we do start to come through on the other side, some of the changes that could lead to a positive environment for cyclicals uh, is likely to be central banks just taking their foot off the gas a little bit. Uh, as we've highlighted before, central banks are likely, we think, to keep rates lower for longer. But some of the emergency measures they're implementing now, particularly quantitative easing, those purchasing of, of long dated bonds that keeps longer dated borrowing costs suppressed, they start to withdraw some of that suppression that could lead to, to gently rising rates at the longer end. You wrap that in with some of the inflation concerns we've talked about. And on inflation, we don't expect anything in the short term, particularly when you've got rising unemployment. But if you look slightly further out, when you have a lot of monetary policy stimulus and fiscal stimulus, and we start to get capex coming through, then in the medium to longer term, the sort of timeframes over which central banks start to worry, you could see those inflation concerns starting to tick up. And that is likely to, to lead to a steepening yield curve. That basically means interest rate expectations in the future starting to rise. And that can be good for cyclicals, particularly banks. Banks do do well if they can lend for longer. So, for example, the, the mortgage rates they get on long-term lending is higher than, than the short-term rates that, that borrowers get. That's where, where banks make their money. And the steep yield curve helps with that. But broadly, cyclicals can do well in that type of environment. But like I said, I'm not sure we're necessarily there yet. We've had fiscal support, but we haven't gone through that period of creative destruction. And until we do have uh, some of that cleansing, I think it's probably going to be bumpy for cyclicals for, for a little while. In terms of what we're doing in the, in the central programmes, we always try and take a diversified and balanced approach. We have some exposures that we think would do well when we do have an economic recovery, uh, and we have some that are a little bit more defensive. So I think it is too early to look at adjusting that 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 strategy mix in, in those portfolios. Um, 
but as always we're not going to try and, and tie markets because that that's a, effectively um unknowable I, I think instead we take a nice diversified approach and as we look to the shift in the long-term uh, investment outlook we may make gradual adjustments but i think it's still too early to call uh, a rapid economic recovery from here and so our portfolios are predicated on, on such a, a short-term uh, short-term bounce okay thanks ben uh, finally just want to touch on the uk for for a moment if we can uh, you mentioned the impact of quantitative easing there uh, we saw the Bank of England step up its QE programme uh, last week. On the same day, the Chancellor announced uh, extension of the furlough scheme until March. So here we are seeing simultaneous fiscal and, and monetary measures to shore up the UK economy. Do you think this is going to help UK equities, which have underperformed so, so badly year to date? Um, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that the measures from the, the Bank of England or the government will, will help boost equity markets. But what I think they are doing is helping to underpin it uh, at the current levels. The UK market, uh, and indeed the economy, though, though the two are of course separate, the UK market is a very cyclical market, it is sensitive to, to the global economy. So we really need to see that economic upswing to really benefit uh, the UK market. But I think, uh, and you, you know, that the central bank intervention, which was more that, than many people expected, uh, and, uh, and the government's extension of the furlough, that does help in terms of supporting where we currently are. And I think they're trying to underpin the market and keep it ticking over until we do have that recovery coming through. And I think what, what markets tend to react more positively to is where measures are more than expected, and they were in both elements. So I think there's a measure of, of positivity, but because these are in response to an, a relatively negative scenario and providing support uh, for the existing economy, rather than stimulating a bounce on the other side. I think it's still a little bit too early to tell. But again, because we won't necessarily know the timing on this, all of these measures, when we do have an improvement in the underlying economic outlook, they will probably help to supercharge that recovery. So they will help in time, but I don't think in and of themselves, in and of themselves they can help markets without that catalyst. And thanks as ever for, for all your comments today. We'll be back again soon with a new episode. If you have any feedback, questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at Thank you for listening.